1988, Rebecca Pauline Gary was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana with her 12-year-old daughter, Jamie. She worked as a waitress to pay the bills and on her nights off, loved being social and was said to have a lot of friends. She was also believed to have been having an on-again, off-again affair with the then governor of Louisiana, Edwin Edwards. On December 18, 1988, she made the spontaneous decision to send her 12-year-old daughter, Jamie, back to relatives in Shreveport for the holidays. Jamie was upset and didn't understand why her mother wasn't coming with her. Her family did not hear from her on Christmas. On December 27, 1988, two days after the holiday, Rebecca, known to family and friends as Becky, would call her sister Joyce and tell her things were not working out for her in Baton Rouge and she wanted to come back to Shreveport to be with her family. Shreveport is about a four-hour drive from where Becky was living and Joyce called a friend that lived near Baton Rouge to help Becky get back to her family. It is unknown why that friend was unable to make contact with Becky. A week or so into January of 1989, the landlord would enter Becky's apartment at Joyce's request. The landlord found Becky's personal belongings, the coffee pot turned on, and a bathtub full of water. Becky Pauline Gary has not been seen or heard from since. Where is Becky Gary? Our goal is to spread awareness of these unsolved missing persons cases. Someone might just hold the key to solving these mysteries. Today's episode is going to take us back to 1988 and the unsolved disappearance of Rebecca Pauline Gary, known to family and friends as Becky. A couple quick notes about the show. Our charity of the month this month is The Charlie Project, and monies raised from the sale of our merchandise will be donated over to Megan and her cause. You can check out her extensive missing persons database that she manages at thecharlieproject.org. You can find a link in the show notes as well. We are also launching a discussion board group for those who want to discuss these cases further with us. This is available to anyone who has joined our Patreon group. Patreon is just $3 a month and a portion of the monies will also be benefiting our charity of the month each and every month. Together, we can make a difference. Okay, so let's travel back to 1988 Baton Rouge, Louisiana and talk about Becky Pauline Gary. Becky Gary grew up in the Shreveport, Louisiana area with her siblings and her mother. 
Her father had passed away when Becky was just six years old. In the 1980s, Becky would move to Baton Rouge with her daughter, Jamie. Jamie's father was not involved in their lives. Baton Rouge is located about 240 miles south of Shreveport and is also the capital city of Louisiana. Becky found work there as a waitress and loved to hobnob with the well-known in the Baton Rouge area. Friends and family said at some point she began having an affair, a secret affair, with the Louisiana governor at the time, Edwin Edwards. Edwin was known to be a womanizer. In fact, he had the nickname the Silver Zipper. Friends would say that Becky was obsessed with him, but there were also rumors that she was planning on ending the affair with him at the time of her disappearance. Another interesting fact to mention is a year prior, sometime around the end of 1987, Becky began carrying a manila envelope with her everywhere. She allegedly told her mother that if something were to ever happen to her, the answers would be in the manila envelope. Becky apparently took that envelope everywhere with her and hid it under her bed when she was at home. So let's go to December 17th, 1988. Becky was 32 years old. Her daughter, Jamie, was 12. And suddenly that day, Becky told Jamie that she was going to be sending her back to Shreveport to spend the holidays with family up there. Jamie remembers being very upset about the trip, the short notice of it, and the fact that her mother was not going to be going with her. But on the very next day, December 18th, Becky put Jamie on a bus to Shreveport. The two argued at the bus stop as Jamie was still very angry about this trip. And unfortunately, that would be Jamie's last memory with her mother. As Christmas that year came and went, the family was annoyed that Becky didn't call or check in on Jamie and wish the family a Merry Christmas. No one had heard from her. On December 27th, however, Becky finally called her younger sister, Joyce, to let her know that she was unhappy in Baton Rouge, things weren't working out as she had planned, and she wanted to come back to Shreveport. The call came in to Joyce as a collect call, and Joyce wasn't 100% sure where Becky was calling from. Joyce called a friend in Baton Rouge, who was going to reach out to Becky and try to help her get moved back to Shreveport. It's really unclear about what happened next. I've researched this over and over and haven't really seen an answer that makes sense, such as why this friend didn't go to Becky's apartment in Baton Rouge to check in on her. Maybe they tried calling her. Maybe they did go to the apartment but didn't receive an answer. But why not let the family know when they couldn't track her down if that's indeed what was happening? But also remember, this was 1988. Cell phones were not a thing and nor was the internet. And this friend hasn't been identified or spoken out anywhere as far as I could tell. 
So it's pure speculation as to what may have happened with that situation. So shortly into January, after the new year, Joyce received a call from Becky's landlord. The rent was overdue, the landlord was upset, and they couldn't reach Becky. Joyce gave them permission to enter the apartment and do a welfare check. The landlord did and found the place in a little bit of disarray. Not the disarray to indicate a struggle or anything sinister, but there were signs that Becky had been packing up her things. They also found her purse, her keys, and her cigarettes on the counter. The coffee pot was still turned on and there were two cups sitting on the counter. The bathtub was also full of water. And on her bed was a packed suitcase with family photographs strewn about all over the bed. Another odd thing they found was an autographed picture of Governor Edwards torn into pieces and scattered around the room. The family would say she had that autographed picture in a frame hanging on her wall and had been given to her from her daughter after her daughter had a trip to the Capitol. There was no sign of Becky anywhere. The landlord told Joyce they were going to remove all of her things from the apartment since she had not paid her rent, but Joyce begged them to wait until the police had a chance to investigate. Something seemed very wrong. When the family called the police, however, they were not very interested. They kept insisting that Becky would just come back or had gone off on her own. And it wasn't until January 20th, Becky would officially become a missing person. However, the police would still not investigate her case. In fact, they never even had any interest in going into the apartment, doing any type of search, or looking around even for themselves. The family wanted the place searched for clues, fingerprints, DNA, something that would help them find Becky, but they never conducted such a search. After the landlord made numerous threats to get rid of Becky's belongings, Becky's brother made the trip to Baton Rouge to pack up and get her things. As the family began kind of investigating on their own and asking questions, the connection that Becky had to Edwin Edwards came up and he denied publicly that there was ever an affair between the two of them. When the police did finally go question him about Becky Gary, he did, however, have a file full of letters that Becky had written him that he did turn over to the police. Also, interestingly, Edwin Edwards was married, and in March of 1989, two months after... Becky is officially a missing persons, Edward's wife, Elaine, would leave him and file for divorce. Now, as Becky's family looks into Becky's life, they do find that she had no shortage of people in and out of her life, but she definitely seemed to be the most interested in Governor Edwards. Remember, she was a very popular and sociable young woman in the area and loved to hobnob in the political scene or in the more affluent areas of Baton Rouge. She seemed to be attracted to men with power and had a lot of people in her life. 
Locals in the Louisiana area have also spoken up to say that her apartment was near an area that was known for heavy drug use. They have pointed out that despite her attraction to the affluent lifestyle, the apartment that she lived in could be considered a sketchy area. So as the search for Becky continues, Jamie would go on to live with her grandmother in Shreveport. And there was very little investigation from law enforcement into Becky Gary's disappearance. So here we have a beautiful 32-year-old woman living in Baton Rouge with her 12-year-old daughter, working as a waitress, far from living in luxury herself, but loved the prominent lifestyle. And something was clearly going on in her life. If the only clue we have of that is this manila envelope she was carrying around for a year. So as this part of the story came up, I wondered if this was even true. You know, the game of telephone where after things are said a few times over and over, things can get misconstrued. Did someone maybe make up this detail for attention? But I did discover that this piece of information was verified by a few different people who knew of this envelope and a couple who had seen it. It was allegedly a letter-sized envelope about an inch thick, but no one has any idea what the contents of this envelope were. She told a couple people that she would keep this envelope with her at all times, and when she was home, it would be under her mattress. Becky said if anything ever happened to her, the answers would be in that envelope. That manila envelope would never be found. So what was inside? Did she possibly have knowledge of something corrupt going on with Governor Edwards? Or something corrupt with another politician? Or even law enforcement? Maybe it was something completely unrelated to the political scene altogether. Another question that pops into my mind pretty early on into investigating her case is what was going on that she suddenly had to send her daughter with little notice to Shreveport, but she herself would remain in Baton Rouge and all of this over the Christmas holiday. And then she didn't even call on Christmas Day, but she was definitely alive because she would call her sister on December 27th saying she wanted to come home. Becky's sister Joyce has said that the police do have the information as to Becky's whereabouts when she made that call. It was a collect call, and they have also said they do know what phone number she called from, but they have not released those details. Now, I want to talk about some theories, but as always, I want to encourage you to keep an open mind. It's easy to jump to the first logical conclusion in a lot of cases that we talk about. In this case, everyone seems to jump on the Governor Edwards' conclusion. Many have speculated that from the beginning, and likely because he is a public figure. But I want to point out there has been nothing officially to link him to her disappearance. And there are some other theories that are honestly just as likely. Getting hung up on one theory is dangerous and can lead us to missing the truth which could be right in front of us. So we will talk about Governor Edwards as 
a theory in her case, but let's please keep an open mind with the others and not discount these additional theories. Theory number one. Let's just get this one out of the way. Governor Edwin Edwards. Did he have something to do with Becky's disappearance? Did Becky have something on him? Maybe in that manila envelope? Governor Edwards has always denied the affair and said that she was just obsessed with him. He was a known womanizer, so I think the public jumped all over this one when his name was mentioned. And I've read through many web sleuth and Reddit forums talking about his possible involvement in Becky Gary's case. But one interesting theory keeps getting mentioned, and that was that Becky was not having an affair with him. It was all in her head. Also, if he was completely not involved, this means the real suspect, if there is one, has gotten away with something due to the public interest in Governor Edwards. There's definitely something about this that is reminiscent of the Chandra Levy case in D.C., But there are some interesting facts that I think you might want to know about Governor Edwards. Despite his seedy reputation for being a womanizer, he had his hands in some other shady activities. In 2001, in fact, he would be convicted of racketeering, money laundering, and conspiracy, and sentenced to 10 years in prison. He always proclaimed his innocence in that case, and the charges apparently stemmed from a scheme to rig riverboat casino licenses. Edwards is 93 years old today and not in great health. He still proclaims he was innocent of those charges and, of course, denies anything to do with Becky Gary. So here's where I'm at with this. I can't rule him out, not in my mind. The manila envelope Becky carried around leads me to believe that she had something on someone. And then for this man to later be convicted of these crimes does seem very suspicious. But money laundering is a long way from making someone disappear. And there has been no evidence to point to him in any way or even if an affair that the two of them had other than Becky's word. So while I can't rule him out, I think some of the other theories, though, in this case are just as important to look at and just as likely. Theory number two, police conspiracy. Becky Gary had a lot of friends that were in law enforcement, and their behavior was said to have been very odd after her disappearance. They pretty quickly discarded the report that she was missing, which made a lot of people raise some eyebrows. Her apartment was never searched, despite that it had been left untouched by the landlord for several weeks. So the police could do just that. They had no interest in even entering her apartment at all. They did make her an official missing persons report on January 20th, but the police didn't make any effort to talk to any family or friends until late February of of 1989. Even then, the police talked to the family in Shreveport, but their belief seemed to hold to the fact that she just probably ran off. And I don't want to get into too many details about this because that could take us down a rabbit hole like no other. 
But there was some evidence of some police corruption in Louisiana during this time. However, a few years ago, some police did show up at the home of Joyce and Becky's family to ask for their DNA. They added family DNA to the database in an effort to help solve some unsolved cases. And this is something that has been done a lot lately as new DNA technologies are developed to identify people based on family relations. So again, that's another theory where there isn't anything to directly tie it to the case, but it is one that often comes up because of how the case was handled. Theory number three, suicide. There really isn't any evidence either that Becky was suicidal, but this often gets mentioned from detectives and the public also. And I think because of the way she sent her daughter off on a bus at the spur of the moment, making sure she was okay and that she would be taken care of. And the fact that she didn't go with her daughter leads people to wonder if Becky was planning something. What I can't wrap my head around with this theory is the way this happened last minute. At least according to Jamie, her mom spontaneously put her on a bus to Shreveport. Also, even though she didn't call anyone for nine days, she did call and check in with her sister on December 27th. So if suicide was her intent, did she change her mind? Could that be why she asked for help to get back to Shreveport? But then what might have happened to Becky after December 27th? Did she change her mind again and decide to take her own life after all? For some reason, I don't really think this is likely, but I can also admit that I don't think it can be fully ruled out. Theory number four, foul play at the hands of another person she knew. Becky was a very likable person, very social. She knew a lot of people. This definitely opens up the possibilities and the list of suspects. There was talk that she was involved with other men on and off again also. But remember, this is rumors or hearsay. Becky did enjoy the attention that she would receive when she went out. Could there have been another man? Maybe another man who was jealous of Becky's infatuation with the governor. Remember, his photo that she had had in her apartment was found ripped up and strewn about in her bedroom. Was that done in a jealous rage? Truthfully, I do think this theory is a likely one. Just as likely, if not more so, than the theory of the involvement of the governor in her disappearance. And if it was another person, they definitely kind of lucked out with all of the attention being placed on Governor Edwards. But who was this other person? Theory number five, foul play from a stranger. Really with the little bit of evidence we have, it's hard to rule out any theory completely. So I have to mention the possibility of Becky running into trouble with a complete stranger. What I keep coming back to in my mind with this theory, however, is that would be a heck of a coincidence considering she was carrying around a mysterious manila envelope, the way she abruptly sent her daughter off on the bus 10 days prior, 
and the state of how her apartment was found as if she was interrupted while packing to leave. Since no forensics were ever done in the apartment, we don't have any information on fingerprints or DNA that could have been found in there. And while people have come forward to discuss that her apartment was near a sketchy part of town with a lot of drug activity, there has never been any evidence that Becky was wrapped up in any of that lifestyle or with anyone who was. But the truth is, no one can ever be 100% certain of what is going on in someone's life. Theory number six, Becky ran off with a truck driver. Now this theory probably seems like it's coming out of left field and it seems that way to me also. And I, I mention it only because it comes up occasionally in articles online, in the web sleuth discussions I've read. It seems to be a repeat discussion point with Becky Gary's case, but I have not seen anything in her past or in her history or from what anyone has had to have said about her that indicates this. And I honestly am not really sure why some people are so steadfast in believing this theory, but they do. It is said that Becky had planned to run off with a truck driver, and that is why she sent her daughter, Jamie, back to relatives for the holidays. It's also an interesting thought because was she not in the area then when she called her sister Joyce? And is that why police are being a little bit tight-lipped about the location and the phone number from where Becky called Joyce? Remember, it was a collect call. And Joyce said that she doesn't know the information, but she knows that the police do. So did she take off with a truck driver and then change her mind or something went wrong? And that's when she called her sister Joyce to say she just wanted to come back to Shreveport with family. Although she had never done anything like this really before. And honestly, if this is somebody who liked to hobnob with the affluent and the political scene of Baton Rouge and of Louisiana, it seems the theory of her just taking off with a truck driver doesn't really seem to hold to Becky's personality. And if she did run off with a truck driver, why didn't she take any of her personal belongings? Why didn't she pack a bag and take it with her? And she left her purse, her cigarettes on the counter. It, to me, just doesn't seem like unless she was trying to stage something and make it look a certain way, it just doesn't seem like the evidence shows that she left of her own accord and on purpose. Her daughter, Jamie, of course, is now an adult and says to this day, she does believe there is a possibility that her mom did run off and is alive somewhere. So I've researched this one quite a bit and I still have questions. What was with that manila envelope? Was she indeed having an affair with Governor Edwards? Why didn't she call her daughter on Christmas Day, but did call on December 27th? Why didn't police ever investigate her apartment? So many questions still left unanswered to this day. And I really think this is a solvable case, despite the fact that it is one of the older ones we've covered. Something likely happened to Becky, and someone knows. And her family is still so desperately seeking answers as to her whereabouts, including her daughter, Jamie. Poor Jamie lost her mom 
in her life, at least, when she was just 12 years old. So what do you think happened to 32-year-old mom, Becky Gary? Keep sharing her story. Check out the Facebook page created for Becky. Help find Rebecca Pauline Gary and like that page if you can to show your support for her family. Remember to send us case suggestions at canwefindthem at gmail.com. Unfortunately, there are so many unsolved missing persons cases out there, but we want to hear from you as to the ones that you'd like to see featured, the ones that need to be featured. And as a reminder, you can join our Patreon group and our live case discussions beginning April 1st. Let's talk about these theories, these cases. Talk about what questions that you might have or what you think may have happened. As always, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Where Are They? And listening to Becky's story. Someone definitely knows something. We will be back with another episode next week. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.